0: And welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast, the podcast where coaches come to talk about coaching. My name is Brent Davis, and I am the host of the podcast. And we are fortunate enough today to have Canadian PGA professional Jason Hellman on the line. Uh, welcome, Jason. Thanks for coming and having a chat to me.
1: Hey, Brent. Great to be on.
0: Looking forward to it. We're going to have some have some great chat today. I think um, you'll be a really interesting conversation. So it's going to be a whole whole heap of fun. So tell everyone out there about yourself.
1: Well, uh, this is my 27th year as a, as a coach, uh, coaching golf. It's, uh, it's been a fun ride. Let me tell you. So, uh, I started, uh, started in the golf business, uh, when I was 21. Yeah. 21. I went, I went away to PGM, uh, college in the U S and, um, turned professional when I was 23. So, um, it's uh, it's been fun. My uh, I'll go, let me let me take you back to my my junior years. Um, this is sort of how I got into golf. I played all twenty seven. Yeah. So wow. Well, yeah, twenty seven. Is that twenty seven? Twenty
0: seven long years ago.
1: Yeah, twenty seven long years ago. Um, well, that's why i took professional. But when I was junior golfer, um, I had played all the other sports growing up. I played football. I played hockey at a at a high level. Played all the way to junior. Uh, and I played football. I was a quarterback, uh, in which I was recruited like American football, so uh, or Canadian, I guess we're okay. going to call it. But so uh, I was recruited to go to a, a few universities here uh, as a quarterback, and thought a little bit better of it. Uh, I'm not a, a a big guy. I'm 5'9". I was one eighty five at that time, and I was pretty quick. I could run away from the big guys, but. Uh, I thought, you know what, I'm I'm probably gonna get beat up pretty bad when I get to the higher levels. These guys are like 300, 360, and I'm 185. Like, you better be able to run like the wind. So, uh, I said, <laughs> that's scary. I think I want to maybe pursue golf because I'll have uh, you know all my faculties, and I won't be as broken. Uh, unfortunately, I did get <laughs> broken playing hockey. So we've um, got lots of injuries to my shoulders and and uh you know knee and stuff like that but uh that that is what it is when it comes to sports you're going to get injured um if you're playing sort of elite sports so um i'm in a non-contact sports yeah i'm in a non-contact sport now which is great uh and i've been limited with injuries so that's also that's also good but uh so I went away to, um, to college in the U.S. Um, and did a PGM course down there for uh, three years. And it's been ever since, you know, I remember we're actually in college writing down your one-year goal, your five-year goal, and your 10-year goal. And I still think I have those somewhere um, in my notes. Um, right. But I, as I mentioned to you before, and maybe some other, you know, conversations we've had, now it's pretty much a 30-year goal. So, uh, where are you going to be at the end of 30 years? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I only have three more years to go. So, uh, to get to there, so we'll see where I'm going to be in those in, in at the end of that 30th year. But, um, it's been, um, it's been a, you know, a career of some accomplishments and, you know, and we'll talk about those as we go along, but, um, my dad never taught me how to golf because in, back in the day, he would always go to these events and, they would always have some beers afterwards. And I was, I think eight, nine, 10 and I wanted to go and I wanted to caddy. And, um, he said, no, you can't go, you can't go. It's, you know, sort of a boy's thing. I was like, ah, you know? So when I was a junior, I worked at a, at a resort that had a golf course beside it and they owned the course too. So I learned how to play golf. My first, my first round of golf, uh, my buddy Steve took me out and I shot 92. So legit penalty. Wow, that's
0: impressive your first game. Little <laughs>
1: legit penalties, everything. So uh, you know, it was it was fun, and um, it was a nine hole course. We just went around twice, and so that was fun. And then the year after that, I played every single day, and by the end of the year, um, my best round was sixty seven. So that was uh, at wow, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And I played with the owner of the course, and um, you know, he was he. I was thirty. 32 35. So, uh, so he was, uh, wow, was like, wow, okay. was awesome round, you know? And so, um, and he even tried to, to buy me a beer after nine to see if he can mess me up. But, uh, <laughs> cause, <laughs> cause, uh, so I was, uh, I was 19 then. So, um, or sorry. Fi- yeah. 15, 15? 15, 15 years old. Yeah. 15 years old. Yeah, tried, wow. to buy me, tried to buy me a beer after that. But um, I said, no, I'm good.
0: Well, that kind of heads into a question straight away. So if you're shooting those kind of scores at 15 years of age, um, what consideration did you give to um, to playing, playing tour golf?
1: Um, I worked my way up, actually. And by the time I was uh, 18, 19, I played uh, in a few uh, Canadian tour at that time, qualifiers, um, actually more than a few, um, probably about, seven or eight um so it was trying to compete at that high level and this is before i went to college so uh it was uh it was fun and all the guys that were out there at that particular time were like chris demarco mike weir steve stricker they were all playing canadian tour so it was fun to watch those guys and um and some other you know some other guys out of college were qualifying at the time too because they didn't have any status and it was a lot different back then uh than it is now Definitely not as structured uh, back then as it was, as it is right now with Mackenzie tour, you know, sponsor and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it was, uh, it was fun, you know, Um, had a couple of close, close qualifications and, and, uh, you know, uh, in the events, uh, you know, it was 72 and you're still not getting in. It was still good golf way back then. So um, I'm playing with the, you know, sort of inferior equipment as to what we have today. but uh,
0: <laughs> Yeah, certainly harder game to play with those with, with the blade clubs and the spinny ball compared to what we use these
1: days. Yeah, it was bladder ball and back then, so two or one hundreds. That was the hot, the
0: hot <laughs> ball. But you, you, could, you could probably get six or seven holes out of them before they go out of shape. Yeah, that was always exactly. expensive round. For sure. That's always part of fun. So yeah. you've been uh, coaching for 27 years as you said. So that's a that's an awful long time out there. I'm coming up to my 20th year, so that's always it's but it's fun to be out there. So um tell me about some of the awards you've won. You've been PGA Canada Teacher of the Year?
1: I have. Uh won the PGA of Canada Professional Development Award and the PGA of Canada Teacher of the Year award uh in 2010, the other one was 2016. Uh and uh I had uh I with the Teacher of the Year Um, that time I was more, uh, I was doing some web.com stuff and, uh, then I branched off into the LPGA tour and worked with uh, three or four players out there and then sort of got away from it and moved back to the club. And I've been at my club for 13 years. Yeah, this would be the 14th year coming up. So, um, lots of club level golf and, uh, and moving into juniors all along the way. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's been interesting, um. A lot different than, than being, you know, going to six to 10 events a year kind of a thing, you know, driving around or flying to different places. And, and now we have the ability to work with players online. So if you have uh, an idea of, you know, I'm still working with a couple of players. So, uh, you know, it's, we can just remotely communicate and it's very simple to, if you know they're swinging, know their movement patterns to, to help them out without physically being there all the time. So, that makes a huge difference.
0: Yeah, it does. It's certainly a different world these days, being able to send, send swings online and coach online and do it that, do it that way these days. It's certainly a, a a heaps easier way to go about coaching those kind of players.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Some people, some, some players need the, the, you know, the hands on sort of, Hey, I need you to, you know, what does that space feel like, you know, or I don't really say position, but what does it feel to move like that? Or, and then, You'd obviously need to be present to do that, but um, it's, it's all relative to how, you know, how many times you can get together a year to do that.
0: Now, you, you spoke a bit about um, your early early sporting days and um, playing different sports, playing football, playing hockey. And um, I do know that you, you, you do say that, that early coaching has had a bit of an impact on you as a as a coach and as a person. So talk me through that. How did you find those early coaching experiences have influenced you as a, as a coach and as a person?
1: So... I'll, I'll start off in football because that was sort of my high school, you know, formidable years, and I had really, really good coaches and really good teachers in school. I went to, um, I went to uh, a school of eight hundred kids, and it was in the country—not country, country, but like we're forty-five minutes away from the biggest city that had three hundred thousand people. So uh, it was uh, on a on a on the level of. The coaches were all by first name. So we didn't have, it wasn't Mr. So-and-so it was Hey Gordon, you know, Hey Paul, you know, Hey John, you know, it was, we were, we were on the, or Glenn or any, any of the, uh, Lee, all the, all the coaches were, were, were very personable. And that part made, I think learning a lot easier, you know, it was, it was in a relaxed sort of environment and it wasn't uh wasn't sort of like i always sort of refer to some things as drill sergeanty you know or you got to do it like this you got to do it like that and if you don't do it like that it's no good so they would teach us um you know a lot of things and and it was just i guess the camaraderie and the the relationships that we had with the coaches going back and forth and being able to talk to them openly was was a big a big deal um and I think a lot of the kids uh, gravitated towards that. And one of the reasons why some of our teams were so successful uh, is that, you know, it wasn't stuffy. It wasn't, uh, you know, they didn't talk down to us. They were like, I guess probably all the coaches, if I could put it in latent terms, would they would, they would think all of us were their sons. So that's kind of how they, they, they treated us, you know, um, which was great. Uh, you know you could ask them a question and they weren't getting mad at you or anything like that that kind of a thing so uh so that made a huge difference I think in the way that um all the kids responded and uh same thing for hockey like I had some great hockey coaches uh you know all the way to junior and they were always you know patting on the back and I only had one sort of you know bad experience with one coach but uh but uh I mean, that's a pretty good record, actually, when I mean, you consider all of the coaches that I had growing up, uh, <laughs> one one bad experience in junior. But, uh, you know, I also learned from that experience, too. So it was um, it was uh, I- interesting, for sure. And uh, they they all sort of, you know, I guess the, the other hockey coaches, kind of the same thing. They take the same kind of approach. You know, they pull you aside and say, hey, you know, talk to you one-on-one. They wouldn't send you out in the group um and then golf we don't really have that as much with because it's an individual sport anyway so we can you know talk to our students one-on-one maybe away from parents uh, so you know they can feel a little bit more comfortable
0: do you find because golf is that singular sport that you have to introduce that group type coaching more in golf than you did in other sports because of the fact that it is a single sport so do you find you have to go a bit the other way
1: not really i mean I uh- to be honest, I'm in my area, or I'm in Toronto. There's seven million people. There, a lot of the people that come to me are looking for the one-on-one. They're they're gearing away from any of the, the uh, group coaching. So they prefer the one-on-one instruction because they've been in a group setting and and not had the success that they'd hoped for.
0: Okay, yeah, that, that, that certainly makes sense. I was probably thinking more so down the down down the kids the kids line, thinking that maybe introducing that squad-based training or practice might be a a good thing for a golf Coast because they can possibly get a little bit too singular in the how they go about it.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's what I was saying. I am getting the kids coming from the group coaching because they're not satisfied with, with some of the other coaching that they've okay. had. And they they feel that they're not getting better at the group level. So they're definitely gravitating towards one-on-one instruction. I do have a group coaching yeah, model sure. to to go by, um, the sort of level one, level two, and, and sort of a future stars program. But uh, I think a lot of the parents are just think it's it's a bit uh it's just fun which is fine it depends on what they're looking for so i'm getting a lot of more of the competitive kids and they're they're not really wanting their child or junior to go into the fun program to just to goof around kind of a thing um they're not interested in paying for that so they'd rather have uh, they have goals obviously and um and even in the even in the smaller junior levels, like the ten-year-olds, eleven-year-olds, it's it's getting more competitive uh, because the universities are starting to look sooner. Uh, I remember seeing you know a few ten-year-olds, you know, you know, committing verbally to universities in the states, which I think is kind of silly. But uh, wow, who knows if they're going to be in the game in six years or seven years? But uh, wow. That's, that's, yeah. I mean, you've got junior golf hub, you've got junior golf scoreboard, you got junior leaderboard and all the coaches are following these, these kids as they grow up. Uh, even as far, you know, as young as 10, as I've heard, I've never heard anything younger, but 10, 11, 12, 13, they are, they're following kids. Um, progress to see it's
0: crazy
1: because now it's worldwide, right? You know, I mean, you've got, you got kids from Thailand, Malaysia and China and you know um Australia and New Zealand that you know are looking at going to North American schools to get the uh to get the scholarship right so and some go and some don't go but um you know a lot, a lot more are going so it's interesting to
0: it was, it was certainly yeah, it is. I so said it was certainly a, a, a um, surprise to me. Cause I hadn't had any um, any sort of exposure to the coaching to the college system in the US at all until I took the Taiwanese players when I was coaching in Taiwan over to the Junior Worlds at um, Torrey Pines, and just to to see the the college coaches just hanging around those kids and handing out cards all the time. It was just uh, um, it was crazy. I just couldn't couldn't get over how big college sport was, and this is 2008. So I'm sure it's even bigger again now.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's why I said they're, they're looking even younger now at the 10 year olds that are committing with their parents, you know, verbally to go to, you know, D1 major schools. Um, now it's few and far between. Wow. We're, we're talking about 10 year olds, but I mean, it's still, you know, still 14, 15, 16. They are definitely gearing up and, and getting their teams ready well, well ahead of time. In regards to um, you know where they're at at the junior golf level for sure
0: so how does that tie into and I, we've, we've had this chat before about early specialization in golf and how bad it can be for certain people so if you've got a kid that shows a bit of talent and he's got a college um, approaching him at 10 12 30 even 14 15 years of age and he's gonna have to tend to want to specialize in golf all of a sudden that that can't be good for his long-term progress
1: no, uh, I encourage all of my athletes, all my junior players to play more than one sport and, and a lot of their parents follow, follow suit. So a lot of them are playing soccer, they're doing swimming, uh, they're not doing baseball. They're definitely not doing the contact sports, um, <laughs> <laughs> that I, that, that I played growing up. They're not, some of them are playing hockey, uh, but not a lot of them are playing and the soccer is not too bad. You know injury wise but uh they're they're not uh they're not into football i do coach a lot of asian players and they seem to you know steer steer clear of some of those other you know bigger contact sports but some of them play hockey and some of them are you know like i said doing the other the other sports they're doing some of them are doing tennis in the uh in the summertime as well uh actually lost a couple kids to the tennis they they went to the tennis and stayed okay. there. It's like, oh man, you guys are so good. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, they'll, uh, maybe they come back to it later. You know, a lot of, uh, a lot of parents just want their kids interested, introduced to golf for the business aspect. Uh, and they'll tell me that straight up, which is great. They, you know, I, we don't want a scholarship. We just want them to know the rules, the etiquette, be able to play um, for when they graduate from university and enter the business world. And I'm like, oh, no problem so their expectations are a
0: little bit lower which is great yeah which is which is a good thing if they if they have that that clear that clear cut pathway in, in in their heads before they start that that certainly makes it easier as, as a coach for you i'm sure yeah
1: well their parents have already decided where they're going to go to school and what jobs they're going to have so they've already uh they're going to be architects or doctors or you know um something along those lines uh or they're going to be in business but uh but it's it's kind of interesting. So
0: yeah, for sure. Now your your coaching is a little bit, probably a bit more mainstream now than it was in the past. But you're more into a into a programs based coaching coaching sessions as opposed to individual private golf coaching lessons. It's certainly where golf coaching is going, I think. But um, how did you get started in that way of thinking in your coaching?
1: Um, well, I've been trying to help help uh shift that paradigm for the last 13 or 14 years for sure i i remember a long time ago i can say a long time ago because i'm in my 27th year but uh one day one day i had 15 lessons in the in the day and it was like a ridiculously long day and i remember the last three lessons i wasn't really there. I was there. I wasn't there mentally. I was there physically, but I wasn't really paying attention to the student at the time. Um, as I, as well as I should have been, and I wasn't charging an enormous amount of money, but I remember driving home going like those last three lessons were crappy. Like, so I called all three students back and said, why don't you come back for another session? Because I really don't think that I was, you know, we we had a good session. So and they're like, oh no, I, I learned some stuff. And I'm like, that's okay, you know what? Just it just come back for another session anytime you want. So then, you know, no charge. I just, I don't really think that I was present. So I never booked anybody. I never booked 15 sessions again, ever. Uh, and at that time I said, Smart move. I, need to, I need to, yeah. I need to, uh, cause you're kind of looking at your watch in the last three lessons going like, is it time to go home yet? I've been here all day, you know, baking in the sun. All that kind of stuff. Um, not trying to make excuses. I love being outside, but uh, it just wasn't. It just wasn't good. So I said, I can't really take someone's money and not be there presently, you know, or not be there all the time mentally. Uh, just be there, sort of physically. You're not. You're not really into the whole session, so you're not giving your all, so to speak. So I said, I'm never going to do that again, and I need to find a different route. So. I charged a little bit more um, the following year and switched the programs up to um, more of a monthly base thing versus just sort of a three pack or a five pack thing, which is what, you know, golf professionals did typically. And that was sort of the, you know, the, uh, the package that everybody did, you know, or some people did 10, but uh, it didn't really seem to work. So, I said, you know, we'd do two hours, two hours a month or, you know, four half hour sessions in a, in a month would be great. And they went, Oh yeah, that's, that's, that's great. I can do that. I'll come every Saturday or, you know, every Friday night or every Tuesday night or whatever it was. So I sort of migrated into that. And then, uh, you know, when I, I had my own Academy at that particular time and then it closed down and, um, the land was just too valuable and like everything, it's kind of happening everywhere, I guess. Some of the golf courses are closing because the land is too it valuable is. And, they're, and they're building things. So that is what it is. But, and then I moved on to another club, which is where I've been for the last um, 13 years. It'll be my 14th year coming up. So I took those programs into there as well and sh- have been trying to shift that paradigm over for you know the last 13, 14 years to get people to realize you can't, I'm, I'm steering, I don't even like the word quick, quick fix, tip. You know, I, I don't use the word tip in any of the articles that I write or uh, anything that I post. I just use their Band-Aids. And the industry sold Band-Aids for a very, very long time. Uh, and it's just not the way to go for people. It takes a little bit longer time for people to, to get better. And they have to understand that going in. And by no means am I slow playing anybody you know, when we're doing coaching, uh, you know, I, am sure that's happened in the past where guys tried to sell their five pack, you know, packages of lessons three or four times. Uh, so that's why I just came up with a f- five or six month program, uh, or a three month program if, you know, you, you weren't fully committed or maybe you're at a higher level and you don't need as much time with the coach. You know, if you're a two or three handicap, you know, you want a sort of a tune up thing at three months, six hours. It's pretty good. See me every other week just to make sure that you're on the right track. And, uh, you've sort of got, you know, March, April, May, and then you're into the more of the competitive season here. So that's worked in the past for sure. And then I've spoke, you know, um, to a few PGA's around the world, PGA of Australia, um, a couple of times and, uh, you know, our PGA of Ontario. And I've spoken, uh, in the, in, uh, the chapter michigan chapter of PG of america on some of these coaching programs and how to you know sort of convert and and not be afraid i just went cold turkey so i just flipped right over and stopped teaching three packs and five packs um the next year i said i'm not doing this anymore at all and that's a bit risky (laughs) you could lose some clients
0: it's a brave move
1: you can lose some clients but uh it uh, it worked out, and it's been snowballing all the way through. So, you know, and and I'm I'm one of those coaches that, um, sort of my motto is I I try and coach myself out of a student. So I think if you're okay. with, unless you you have like really high long term goals, like I want to play on the PGA Tour or I want a college scholarship, uh, those two particular ones or LPGA Tour or whatever it may be. Uh, those are the, I guess the the highest levels you're going to get to is either college and then professional. So, if if you're with me sort of more than two years, we're and you're not getting anywhere, then I'm failing. So, I had I had one student this year who took the three month program, and he was a fifteen, and we got him down to a nine in six hours. So, six hours of coaching. So we made significant change, in in those six hours and that was over the, over the course of three months uh, so they can get better faster if they have the right concepts and the right direction and the right practice habits so that's sort of how i treat everything now um it's individual what does that person want what are their goals uh and then how do we sort of you know reach or attain those goals uh, based on what limited time that they have is there people working you know they have full time jobs and families you know golf is not their entire life like some of those other people will be doing you know college scholarships and, <laughs> and and what's more
0: important than all those golf. things right come on
1: oh yeah i agree but you know they don't have 10 or 12 hours a day or even 6 or 7 hours a day to sort of practice right um which yeah. which is so just
0: just quickly on that i I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are on how much of an impact the student actually has on that progress. So you said that if you if you can't see them if you don't get the improvement that they want in in, in say two, twelve months to two years worth of coaching, um you've failed as a coach. But how much of an impact does the actual student have on that improvement?
1: Uh well, my students make I make sure that all my students have accountability. So it's very easy to blame the coach and blame someone else on your on your not getting any better, uh, or you know your your lack of improvement. But really, the student the student is the ultimate person that is is doing the work. And if they're not going to do the work, well, it's very simple. You're not going to get better. So I make sure that they all have practice plans. The practice practice plans change as they get better. I change them. And I say, hey, wow, you're getting pretty good at that, you know, bump and run shot. Like, okay, I think we will just take that off. And if it's on there three times a week to do, maybe we'll just take it down to to one time a week and we'll put something else in there that you're not as good at. So they work on, well, first of all, I identify all their weaknesses and then they get to practice all their weaknesses and they practice their strengths less because they're already good at those. So they're going to get minutely better at their strengths, you know, on a very on a decimal point percentage, even if they practice them, but their weaknesses are still gonna suck. And because they hate practicing them, because they're not good at them, then they're going to stay the same. They're not going to get any better. So we find out that, hey, you can't hit, you know, plug live bunker shots. So guess what, that's on your practice plan three times a week. Right? (laughs) <laughs> you can't hit uphill bunker shots. Perfect. Uphill bunker shots. Guess what? That's on your. That's also on your plan three times a week. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, it, we'll put them in random spots too. Sometimes hit out of divots, you know, around the chipping green, all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah. no one likes to practice something they're not good at because they don't feel great about themselves. So we have to make sure that they build those weaknesses up to sort of an average and then average to strength and then strength to like, if we can get it to tour status, that would be awesome. But, um, cause we have all the tour stats. I hate comparing to tour stats, um, with, with amateur golfers, but it gives them sort of a baseline of, Hey, like this is, you know, from 20 from 30 feet, it's, you know, a 4% make. so why do you think at 30 feet that you should be thirty or forty percent
0: i um i think it's, in, it's it's important to to stress that golfers should be practicing their 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 weak areas but also from a they're going to be much more excited about their golf game if they see a two or three percent improvement in, that, in a in a in a an area that's weak as opposed to as you said a point two percent change to a strength so if they can see that bigger improvement that's certainly going to make them more keen to come back and practice more
1: Yeah, most definitely. So the 15 that went to a nine, he gained 30 yards on his drive and we attacked his putting uh, because his lag putting wasn't very good and his stroke was a bit erratic and, you know, a little bit of chipping, but basically it was those three, those three skills that we worked on. And then he practiced quite a bit and played quite a bit as much as he could and, you know, and knocked it down to to the nine in in three months, which is which is
0: really cool, exciting for for player and coach, I'm sure as well. So that's that's really cool.
1: I like that. Yeah. So um, and then he had to obviously put the work into.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. So I'm I'm intrigued by, the, by this by coaching program idea. I think it's a it's a great way to go back to coaching. I think there's more and more coaches doing it these days. But what advice would you have for someone who's recently graduated sees the some possibly some older pros that are still doing the the buy three, get four golf coaching sessions packages, that type of stuff um, at at their club. But he wants to get into into coaching programs. How does he sell that idea to his potential clients? How does he get that into his club?
1: Well, here's the first thing. If you're young and breaking into the field um, or breaking into the market, you're not going to be charging as much as your head pro or your associate pro, you're an assistant, so you're going to be have to be at a lower price so make sure that your price is reasonable and obviously there's there's some percentages that you have to kick back to the club i don't know if all of you know everybody has to do that around the world but we do here it's on a 20 or a 30% you certainly um,
0: do yeah certainly do here as well
1: yeah so you have to factor that in so i simply factor in what i think i would like to take home Mathematically, and say, okay, let's just use hundred dollars a month as an example. Uh, if uh, you say, okay, well, I'm going to give two fifty, you know, two half hour lessons at a hundred dollars a month, and you're going to lose twenty percent, you're going to figure out what you what you're taking home, what your net is after your twenty percent, but it's basically fifty dollars a half an hour session. So where is that in the price point of the club that you're at or the area that you're at, um, for all assistance? Uh, it's probably a little bit higher than that. I, I would think, I don't know what it is over there, but it's, it's definitely a bit higher here. It's probably around 75 here for assistance to, and yeah, they really do about 45 minutes. So, um, knock your 20% off or 30 or whatever the, uh, the, the rate is for the club that is, uh, you know, charging you a facility fee and make sure that that is what you want to do. And then you just decide how much, you know, you think you're worth based on either your experience or your certifications or, um, you know, who have you worked under or who have you worked with or how much have you studied? Uh, what is, you know, everyone's, uh, PGA or, you know, um, business schools and all those things are, are different around the world so they you know i would say get some experience go if you can go shadow go shadow people there's if there's people that you want to shadow and they're online then go and see what they're doing online um there's a lot of people that do put their information out there in regards to how they they teach and have some live lessons on there and i do those in some of the coaching workshops that i did but uh I don't really put too much out on social media in regards to how I teach, um, or do the tips and, the uh, you know, this is how you, you, generalize stuff, you know, for the masses, uh, because, uh, no one's going to come see me if they can find everything online for free. That's just sort of my philosophy, Fair point. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't need to I go would, see him. You I know, would ne- agree with that.
1: I'll wait for the next video. You know, I don't need to go, go to see him, even if he's right around the corner. So, yeah, yeah. I think we've shoot ourselves. And I think a from, a,
0: from a coaching per- – sorry, Jason, but I think from a coaching perspective, if you're a young coach coming out and you want to go and see someone, but you, you aren't sure whether you – uh, are keen to actually drive 10 hours for example to go and see that person if you can get a bit of a sense of what they do and how they do it from their online stuff um, that'll certainly it could help you sell that that 10-hour drive i think so that's um, probably a good way to get a bit of a sense of how guys go about it by checking their online content
1: yeah definitely there's there's and some of the you know if they're, if you're looking for an elite coach or someone who is very seasoned uh, a lot of them are very open to coming in shadow as long as you know you clear it that that coach clears it with their student that's going to be on the, that particular day that they like to be in town or whatever it is and 10 hours is you know it's not really that far actually um
0: going for a place like Canada or a place like Australia 10 hours is just a just a country drive isn't it
1: yeah right so um well wow, that get me almost to south carolina it's about 15 hours to south carolina could go yeah. down there <laughs> north carolina um but uh <laughs> Yeah, I know it, sometimes it's worth the drive, right? Just, to you don't, you might not get all of the stuff that's going on in a particular, you know, session, um, or how that coach is interacting with them, you know, sort of off camera, uh, that, that part's, uh, fairly crucial as well. Like, are they joking around, you know, uh, in between, you know, when you're on camera, you're sort of, you gotta be on right. And you're trying to, it might not be, uh, you might not see all the fun stuff that's happening, right? They're just showing you p- bits and pieces of what's what's happening in that session, because um, you can you know edit and yeah, clip things. That's- so <laughs> that's uh, I think uh, you know a lot of those those elite coaches are still open to that. Say yeah, I don't I don't mind you coming and you know some some coaches charge for it, um, some don't. Uh, I've heard up to around five hundred dollars a day for some some coaches
0: oh, to hang wow. out. Okay. But um, I've always I've always found the coaches in Australia are really approachable. the the high the 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 elite coaches are certainly open to, to trainees and people coming just out of their time to actually come and watch some coach. I've always approached some fairly big name coaches and they've always been open to it, which is a pretty cool thing, I think.
1: Yeah, they're they're making the effort, they're showing initiative, and that's a good thing. You know, versus you know, someone who's not doing anything. There's a lot of assistants that don't like to teach. They just prefer the, the pro shop sort of weekly paycheck and are, and want to play, you know, or maybe have aspirations to, you know, play or win all of the section events or, you know, the provincial events or whatever, whatever's going on in that particular area. So that, you know, if they're younger, that's, that's sort of where they're at. I was there too, you know, and then they, uh, they migrate and they go. I think I can make more money teaching, right? So that's why if they, <laughs>
0: and do it heaps easier as well.
1: Yeah. So if you're working twelve hours a week and you're making a hundred dollars per hour, it's not rocket science, you know. So that uh, it's an extra twelve hundred in your pocket minus whatever percentage that you have
0: to give back to the club. So yeah, and it's only twelve now, hours. You, you spoke earlier about coaching. <laughs> you spoke earlier about coaching about coaching tour players, um, and you've kind of shifted a bit away from that these days, and heading more down that down that junior type type coaching pathway. Um, can you talk through some of the the changes that you coach to your coaching that you've done to 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 um, step towards those junior programs?
1: Well, actually, a lot of the juniors have come to me, uh, so I, I wasn't actually out there seeking. The juniors, they they seem to have migrated to me, and uh, that's uh, that's a good thing. I love coaching the kids; they're awesome. They're so much fun, and they work hard. They practice hard. They're the parents that I have. But I, I also find myself coaching some of the parents. Uh, so I've you know I've had a few parents that have been, uh, we'll call them overbearing, and. They want the best, <laughs> <laughs> they want the best for their kids, which is fine, but there's a certain way they need to go about that. So some coaches wouldn't do that. They wouldn't, you know, sort of take the reins and say, okay, I'm going to help this parent or dad or mom or whoever it is, uh, relax a little bit and steer their, I'd steer, I make sure I steer them in the right direction. So I don't have a lot of parents on my coaching team. I have some. Uh, I don't mind it as long as they sort of don't speak out of turn or are like, you know, creating anxiety, um, for the junior that's trying to learn. So if they do say something, I just will turn around and say, okay, come with me. Uh, and I'll say, you can't say that. (laughs) I'll just tell them straight up and be like, why, why can't I say that? I was like, because this is this, this, and this, and this, and they go, oh, okay, I didn't even think about that. So, you know, the the parent is obviously the authoritative authoritative figure at home, and kids don't want to do any wrong, and they're trying to please them as much as possible. So if they think that mom or dad is upset with them, you know, that's where the anxiety starts to to set in. Because now they're worried about failing and not performing well enough for mom and dad. So I make sure I... I coached that parent as well and, and, and pulled them aside. Uh, and I pulled many aside, uh, yeah. to let them know exactly what, what they need to do as a, as a golf parent or a sport parent, uh, um, of the athlete. So that, uh, that has hopefully helped. And, and they've all actually thanked me and said, you know, thank you very much for, you know, stepping in and, and letting me know that I, I didn't know, you know, cause some of the parents don't play golf. So that's, they, they've not been in certain situations. They don't understand, uh, you know, what it is to to miss a pot or miss a chip or, you know, I mean, they obviously know score wise, but they, they, they don't know, like the, the child is looking up at the parent immediately after they miss a pot and looking for the facial reaction or the body language. And they know what's happening they know if they're happy or, or, or if they're upset or they're disappointed. Uh, and I make sure that some of those parents do not live vicariously through their child. So, uh, that's, which has happened many times with, with lots of parents in other sports hockey as well. Uh, so that's, that's one of the ways that I, I sort of go about things when I'm, when I'm coaching the the kids and, and they've, like I said, they have migrated to me, um, to, to work one-on-one because they've been in other programs that just haven't worked out or they didn't get better fast enough, um, because they didn't have the right stuff Or a lot of these, uh, there's other coaches that don't coach technique, uh, which I remember seeing, a. uh, uh a uh, quote from Brian Menzel, I think last week on Facebook or something that says, "If you don't coach technique, someone else will." Well, guess what? They are coming to. <laughs> to a lot of them are coming to see me for some technical issues or, you know, uh, direction t- to make themselves better. So,
0: okay, so so talk me through like a standard junior program that you set up for, a, say, a twenty handicapped kid that turns up. He's a he's a twelve year old player. Um, he wants to play college golf. What type of type of program would you build for that kind of player?
1: How old is he again? Twelve. Twelve? 12? Okay. So obviously I'm gonna discuss this with the parents. I have a formal meeting with them. I sit down with the parents. We discuss everything. They figure out, you know, if if the junior is really gonna be committed. They, they're talking it over at the table with me in front of me, making sure. Oh, yeah, I'm committed. I'm going to practice. You're going to practice? Yes, we're going to practice. Okay, good. Okay. So then we're deciding on the programs. Uh, there's I have several options. Um, I have six and nine-month programs that are six and five hours a month. And then I have eight hours a month. And then I have unlimited coaching for uh, the collegiate program, which is 12 months long. And they can come as, as often as they want. That's, uh, which is sort of within reason. I will manage that. Uh, so if I think there's overcoaching going on, I'll make sure that, you know, like, I don't, I don't think they should come two times, two times a day, seven days a week. That's ridiculous. Right. So <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So in the morning and at night, like they're not going to come that much, but if they want to come three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, that's great. If they want to come Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, no problem, you know, and they're going to spend, you know, a few hours with me each day, not an issue so that they will go through their practice routines and we make sure that uh, we're grinding things out through block practice or randomized practice and also playing on the course. I do lots of on-course coaching. So that part's great. great. Um, Sounds good. I do actually more on course coaching than I probably do the block practice, range practice stuff, because if they're already learning, I mean, okay, he's a 20, but you know, like you said, but we're going to, you know, go through, you know, ball striking and short game and chipping and putting and bunker and do all those, all that skill acquisition. Uh, but I like to do some of that on the course as well so that we don't have to try and transfer it to the course because if we're doing it on the course, we're already getting a result, right? So it's either going to be good or bad, maybe mediocre, but uh, it's it's critical that kids learn on the course and they build some confidence and, hey, I can do it out here, you know? So that they can, they don't, they don't, if, if we're already doing it on the course, we don't have to transfer. There's no transfer training. We're already doing it. So, yeah. um, I mean, how many good range players are in the world? Lots, right? And they can't do it on the course um for whatever reason anxiety and performance and they want to score and you know those sort of things mental things get in the way mental blocks so the more we do it on the course the more confidence they build the more they think they can do it and they can so over the course of time there are six nine months eight um eight hours a month which is uh I do in a nine month program and then 12 out 12 12 months a year on the mini coaching so all depends on, where they're geared and how committed they are and obviously financially what what works for that particular
0: family. So no, that that makes sense. It's interesting you bring up the um the block versus random practice. it was a bit of a Twitter chat so to speak see, going on that. at the at the moment. So obviously this podcast won't come out until next year, but um just, based on previous Twitter wars, it may still be going by the time this podcast comes out. So we'll see how it goes.
1: Listen, all those forms of practice have a place and it depends really on the individual and their, you know, um, practice habits. uh, If they work hard, if they're not a hard worker, you know how, how, what are their goals? You know, do they want to be a tour player. Do they want to get a college scholarship? If they're, are they really willing? Some people get things. Some people get things quickly, or they they get things too easy, and they feel they don't have to work as hard. Be like, oh no, I'm good at that already. I don't need to work at that. Oh, okay, but you actually do. <laughs> so, so that's why it's in your practice. Uh, yes, plan. you do.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you don't own it yet. Or I'll call yeah, them out and I'll be like, "Oh, you on that? Okay, let's see it right now, right?" Or have you ever done the, you know, call the shot from the top of the swing? So I've done, I do that to them. I, okay, if you if you got a high draw, let's see it. Okay, and I'll, 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 and I'll say I'm gonna randomly call high fade, high draw, low draw, low fade from the top of the swing. Let's, you know, when you get up to the top, I'll decide which one it's gonna be, and then they'll be like, "Okay, I can do it." So and obviously it's not 9 year olds 10 year olds but um a little bit older 13 yeah. 12 they can do it pretty close well they know path and face control
0: so oh, that's a that's a that's a good coaching strategy now i could talk to you for hours jason um, yeah. we are coming to the end of our time together okay. so i'm going to i have got a fast four series of questions that i'd like to ask everybody so we'll go through those, um, and we'll probably aim to get you on again um, at some stage as well to maybe expand on your junior coaching ideas and stuff like that. I think um, that'd be a really, really cool topic to explore a bit deeper. But um, you've you've probably answered the the, the first question out pretty uh, pretty well. But we'll just if you've got anything else to add. So advice for for coaches starting out in golf coaching. What's probably the best piece of advice you can give someone starting out
1: make sure you keep educating yourself uh don't think that uh when you first you know first start out here that you know everything don't copy
0: mike fay <laughs> don't copy mike fay
1: oh, I, I, I don't even know i didn't even hear his but uh <laughs> honestly, he's a smart guy <laughs> stay educated that part's important uh keep up your continuing education don't think that you know uh, what I think, you know, I, I have this quote in my presentations, if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So um, <laughs> that, uh, that's sort of a model that I, I sort of live by and um, be open to all the information that's out there. There's all kinds of systems out there that may or may not work with some people. Uh, I, do, I do a full mobility screen with all of my players, all students, doesn't matter what level they're at right away in the first session. Uh, so I find out their limitations right away. Uh, I would say find someone who's a good, um, you know, strength and conditioning coach, uh, an athletic trainer. I have a really good one. She's awesome, Michelle Liu. Um, so, you know, find somebody that you can work with and team up with if you're not well-versed in biomechanics or you know, anatomy and physiology and all those things. Uh, and then uh, partner up with that particular person. And then, uh, I work back and forth with, with her, with students all the time. So uh, I'm, and I'm well-versed in biomechanics, but it's better. There's some limitations that have to be, um, fixed first before you can actually make uh, movement pattern changes. So
0: we fix those first. Yeah, so um, obviously, uh, keep up your, your your training as a coach. You're always always going to be learning new things, and setting up um, relationships with um, with experts outside your field can certainly be a be a powerful tool as well. Definitely, great, great advice, really good advice. So, how about advice for golfers out there? What would be the best piece of advice for the average player out there?
1: Stop watching all the instruction stuff online. How about that? Um, <laughs> and thinking that's going to work for you the next day. Um, what happens is people, I think, I'm not going to say all of it's, uh, but when it's all generalized uh, and you don't know what your limitations are because you haven't been screened and you're trying all this stuff and then you injure yourself or you say, oh, no, that that thing didn't work. Um, tried to turn my hips and you know, and okay, now I'm going to try this and I'm going to try and work on my angle of attack. And no, that didn't work either. So you're trying all these things that are online and then none of them may pertain to you, but you think that they do. And then you've tried six or seven different things and now really messed yourself up. So uh, I think do your due diligence, find a good golf coach. There's plenty out there in every area. Uh, I get a lot of people that say, I just want to, you know, I want to work with you and, but I want to see, you know, how we, how we jive and, you know, how we vibe and see if we can, you know, work together. Um, Cause I've been with some other people before and it didn't work out that great. I'm like, yeah, no problem. Come on over, try it out. So you're going to get that as a coach as well, that, you know, there's, there's certain type of interactions that you need to have. And I'm a very open particular person where I can, I sort of. I adapt myself to the student versus them having to try and adapt to me. So I will adapt my coaching and the way I deliver information to that particular individual based on what they do for a living, if they're a critical thinker, if they're pretty laid back, you know, all of those things. Um, so I find out in the first part of the interview, I can, I can identify now uh, what kind of person I'm dealing with. You know and if they're going to be a tinkerer so how much information are we going to give that particular person uh so those those types of athletes or golfers um just need to be wary of how much information they take in and how much they try and i think that a lot of people get caught up in trying all the quick fixed you know band-aid tip stuff and if they could steer clear of that and just work with someone on a long-term basis whether it's a three or five month program they'd be further off down the road and they'll build their skill acquisition much better.
0: Awesome. That's great advice again. So um, certainly out there for all the golfers out there listening, certainly take that on board. Um, so with regards to your career, you're obviously a very successful coach and have been around for a, a, a long time out there doing it and doing it well. Is there anything that you would change in your, in your pathway or the steps that you took to get to where you are now? Yeah. Um, I'd like to say yes, but probably not really. I mean. That's a valid answer. Uh,
1: I went, I went, I, I, I sought out a professional golf management program. I had great coaches. I had great teachers that taught me how to teach uh, and interact with people. So Charlie King is one of them. He's the co-director of instruction at the Rick Smith Golf Academy at Doral. He was at Reynolds Plantation. I have Brad Turner, who is now the director at Bishop's Gate uh, in Orlando, which is a you know sort of a high performance program for juniors where they go annual or you know annually or eight months out of the year, kind of a thing. And he was a short game guru, short, short game wizard. Never won any money off him when I was in college. Uh, we used to <laughs> we, used, we used to try, but he was just really good. So. Um, those two coaches were great. I had another one, Carl Orbedo, who was more of a technical coach and I had, you know, some sports psychologists that were awesome. Uh, Lance Percy uh, was that, was that particular, you know, doctor and learned lots of stuff about, um, you know, sports psychology. And um, I remember asking, I, I went out and played nine holes one night, one time at this course that was like absolutely brutally hard. Uh, you know, eight out of the first nine holes is OB and uh, left and right. The only, the only hole that wasn't was the first hole, and it had a water hazard on the right. So it was all houses in Florida. So uh, I said, I shot 36, and there was no pins on the greens. I said, I have no idea how I did that. And I used to play that golf course terrible. I would shoot 42 all the time on the front nine, and uh, he, I said – and. You should be saying, hey, why did they take the pins out? Well, the kids um, in that particular neighborhood decided to light the flags on fire. So they <laughs> took all the flags out at 4.30 or 5 o'clock <laughs> at night so the kids, you know, couldn't, like, steal the flags and light them on fire. Um, not all the flags, but they would do one or two of them. So I remember I hit one to a foot on the 8th pole, and this is 1993. And... Uh, I was like, wow, I hit it two a foot. I didn't even know where the pin was. So I was just aiming for the green and, uh, I hit seven out of the nine greens and got up and down once, once I found out where the hole was. But, uh, anyways, that was, uh, that was interesting. And, uh, you know, he explained to me, obviously you're, you're target oriented when you play. And we always try and get close to the pin because that's where the hole is. Right. So when I started shooting at the middle of the greens, I did much better because my opportunities went up and I didn't miss the greens. Yeah. But um, yeah, so great coaching um, as I grew up and uh, great mentors and uh, that helped quite a bit.
0: No, that's cool. I said, that's a completely valid answer that you wouldn't change anything. You've obviously the, the steps you've taken, those got you to the place you are now so that's that's completely valid answer <laughs> so final question before we let you go uh, where do you see yourself or golf in the next five to ten years now you cool. can answer it as um as you can answer just for yourself or just for golf or you can answer both if you like
1: where do i see myself in my field for five years uh five years still coaching uh 10 years maybe retired i don't know uh I've just, uh, I've just turned the big five Oh, so, uh, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't forecasted nice. that quite a bit, uh, 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 yet. So, but, uh, no, I, I really love coaching every day. Uh, I just opened a new studio here, as you know, in Toronto and have been in and out of there, you know, I'm there six days a week still in the winter time. And it's only going to get busier as we get into January cause everyone's getting their new clubs. Uh, you know, uh, for Christmas, they will have, it'll have all, all their new in- equipment and stuff. So they'll want to try it out in January, February, March, and then getting ready for the golf season, uh, hopefully April or, or first part of May here. So 10 years, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess maybe still coaching and then definitely five years. I'll still be coaching, uh, juniors. Uh, I'm still coaching lots of the juniors still at the, at the club as well and uh you know facilitating uh people getting better at the at the member level uh, or amateur level and I still teach uh I still teach some elite uh players and some tour players online and and in person so that's fun and um I don't mind traveling and as you know I I enjoy playing golf every once in a while <laughs>
0: for those that haven't heard us speak before that's our standard joke with 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 jason he plays uh on average 400 rounds per year so he's out there every every day at least playing 18 holes so um that's our that's our standard joke so uh where can people find you if they're trying to trying to hunt you down jason
1: uh i'm on all the social platforms pretty much it's uh at jason Hellman golf that's j-a-s-o-n-h-e-l-m-a-n golf and that's uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and uh, all of those social platforms so that uh, that sh- they should find me there google me um my website's jasonhelmangolf.com.
0: So certainly jump on there and give Jason a follow. It's um, There's some pretty cool stuff out there. and There's always some interesting conversations coming out of those social media platforms. So thank you so much for your time today, Jason. I really appreciate it. Um, it's been great to have a chat. As I said, we could talk for hours, I think, with you. Um, and I'll certainly look to get you back on at some stage to, to possibly dive a bit deeper into your theories and also into your, your junior coaching program. But that was that was great fun. Thank you so much.
1: Definitely. Thanks for having me on, to Appreciate it.